Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I have great news. First of all, it's great to be back. We haven't recorded a live podcast in two full weeks. And uh, I missed you. Oh, I missed you too. This is, uh, it's weird. I need to uh, remember how to sit in front of a microphone and share thoughts for an hour. I'm not comfortable sharing how many times I had to retake the solo intro last week without you. <laughs> it's like 8 p.m. the night before I'm leaving for my trip, and I'm just sitting talking to myself in a room. It's a real, great. it's a real look in the mirror moment. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like what are we even doing here? It's weird. Uh, I have good news for you though. Okay, Major League Baseball is funded by the Communist Party. Wow. The moment that we've been waiting for since we started this podcast, what we've been trying to do, we've been trying to turn baseball communist, and we've is finally this, done it. Is this like a like a specific communist party? Is it just like the communists set up a GoFundMe? Unfortunately, it's the fascist Chinese communist party. Ah. According to a video that I saw circulating from uh, Consumers Research, Consumers Research, I believe that this is... Uh, it has something to do with Georgia, the state of Georgia, and MLB. Something, supposedly. <laughs> MLB moving the All-Star game, which some of you might have heard about, from Georgia. We're from in the like greater month, Atlanta month area. three of this meltdown. Yes. Uh, I'd like to play this video for you. This hit ad on Rob Manfred that I am so upset that we did not come up with as parody ourselves. Commissioner Rob Manfred moved the All-Star game from Atlanta, parroting dishonest partisan talking points. Why is he making baseball political anyway? Because of his terrible record. Viewership way down. Ticket prices way up. Sketchy deals in China. And Manfred has been so bad that Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders agree. Maybe the league should pay taxes like everyone else. Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. I'm really mad that we did not come up with something this good. I... I'm really mad that I almost agreed with some of the points they were making. You almost. Know? I, I agreed with a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Viewership down, ticket prices up, Rob. Yeah. It's like they said it, they said serve your customers. And I said yes. And then they said not woke politicians. And I was like, well. I mean, I'm fine with not serving the Democratic Party. Oh, uh, I mean, yes, I agree. But I also don't think that they are serving woke politics you know like what they're is, not serving anybody except themselves which we're going to talk about it a little bit uh any other uh meltdowns about the all-star game that we missed in the last two weeks that you want to bring up i think that we can reset the whiteboard to zero uh the all-star game is actually coming up this week so this is sort of our last chance this is georgia conservatives last bite at the apple here do you think it's going to end, really? Like, this just feels like it is fodder for them that they will be able to hold on to for months to come, right? Because because even if the, the All-Star game is over, this is still the one piece of proof that they have that Major League Baseball is trying to silence conservatives and is giving in to the woke lobby. This is it. The, the proof is in the pudding right here. Until they get their $100 million, they're never going to stop. 
their $100 million, which is a completely made-up figure. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about a uh, ProPublica article that came out about how sports owners finagle their finances. Uh, we're going to do some voicemails. We're going to do three up, three down, which we haven't done in quite a while. But before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, before we dive into the investigative journalism, uh, I was in Florida this past week. Took a trip over to Lone Depot Park, which I vowed that I'm not going to call it. So for the rest of this segment, I'll just call it Marlins Park. Right. Uh, that's, that's what it is, I think. Really weird stadium. Really weird vibe. Listen, I love all of our Marlins fans who listen to the podcast. Uh, we've had many a guest on to talk about the Marlins specifically and how they symbolize all of Major League Baseball. Um, but that stadium just doesn't feel like you're at a baseball game. I was there with the roof closed because, you know, I was in Florida during a hurricane, as one does. <laughs> it is really weird. It's the kind of thing where, like, it, it feels like a, like a guy's apartment, like, bachelor pad that he hasn't furnished, you know? So, like, when you talk, you can just hear your voice echoing off of all the walls. Like, that's kind of what it feels like to me is, like, there needs – there's something missing here. I can't put my finger on it, but it might be that you don't have a couch or any artwork on the walls, you know? like Well, specifically, they had artwork and took it down. Exactly. But I think, to me, I kept feeling like I was at, like, a high school basketball gym, you know? Because right. it's – first, baseball experience indoors. Uh, it was really weird, as I've said three times now in this two-minute intro <laughs> segment. Um, but it just it didn't help that there weren't a lot of fans there, obviously. I went to go see them play the Dodgers. It was a 1-1 game for 10 innings. <laughs> I got to see Pablo Lopez pitch, which was pretty cool. I, I like him a lot. Uh, as we record this, he struck out the first nine batters that he faced today on Sunday. Uh, but I just figured I'd share my dispatches from from Miami. You know what else I was really disappointed in? Two things. Two things. Number one, in the Marlins parking garage, you can only pay by that stupid pay-by-phone app. The ubiquity mm. of this pay-by-phone app thing is out of control, Alex. I, I, this was not the rant I intended on going on today, but I was just reminded of this because I saw a commercial for a pay-by-phone app while watching the Mets game. Can't we just... What was wrong with like paying an attendant to take my money when I walked in? Yeah. There were attendants there. They just didn't take my money. And it's not like a, it's not a COVID thing. Like this is, it's Florida. <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> you have nothing to say to my pay by phone app, Rand. Big, big pay by phone is really, uh, is, a, is, has a, politicians in their pocket. Ron DeSantis is like, we must force this on the people. My, <laughs> he's in the, the, the pocket of the pay by phone lobby. Um, <laughs> The other complaint that I had is that they didn't play a single Pitbull song the entire time I was there. Ooh, Not yeah. one Pitbull song. That's tough. Mr. 305. Mr. Worldwide. No yeah, Pitbull are, songs. Yeah, How am I supposed to even know that I'm mayor. in Miami? Yeah. Unacceptable. Um, that's all I have to share about my time in Marlins Park. Who did you, uh, who did you see them play? It was Marlins... Dodgers. Dodgers. Which was funny that I was in town and so too were the Dodgers. You really are just kind of becoming a Dodgers fan, aren't you? No, no, mm. no, mm. nah. 
I actually kind of root against the Dodgers when I go now. It is kind of, they are kind of, I mean, they're the evil empire of the West, right? But it doesn't help though, because, you know, the the shirt that I wear to Dodgers games or to many baseball games is the unionized the Miners Dodgers design because it's the the original. uh, And I don't own a Phillies one because I will not own anything with Phillies colors, naturally. So it appears to most people I'm presenting as a Dodgers fan whenever I'm at any of these games. There are worse things to present as, I think. <laughs> yeah, we could make one with a Yankees logo, which will never happen, by the way. Yankees fans, stop asking us. <laughs> it's true. Not only do I not want to support putting the Yankees logo out into the world, but I feel like we would get sued by the Yankees. Yeah, if there's any organization that would put a stop to um, us using their logo in support of unionizing Just the minor us leagues. Us being inspired by their logo, Alex. Don't give them any ammo for the cease and desist right of course just uh we took creative liberties that's all yeah art is about inspiration that's true is there any original art anymore anyway absolutely not uh all right let's talk about this ProPublica article because i saw this and uh it was going around our corner of lefty sports twitter it's part of their uh investigation called the secret irs files it's an ongoing reporting project they're doing into how mainly how billionaires in America finesse the tax code to avoid paying taxes. Um, this article specifically is titled The Billionaire Playbook, How Sports Owners Use Their Teams to Avoid Millions in Taxes. So I just finished reading this article this morning and I'm infuriated, Alex. <laughs> we obviously will link to it in the description, but I wanted to talk to you about some of the highlights of it. and. Specifically about how, you know, a lot of the article is focused on actually NBA owners and Steve Ballmer in particular, because he's the most recent high level, very expensive acquisition of an NBA team in a large market. Steve Ballmer, former uh, CEO of Microsoft, uh, one of the richest people in the world, paid $2 billion for the Clippers in 2014. Um, And this article outlines how him and other sports owners use their acquisitions of sports teams to basically get off from paying taxes. Uh, Which is something that, you know, we've talked about. We've talked about how teams finesse their finances um, and they do accounting tricks to make it seem like they are in the red every year when actually these teams are essentially printing money. And I was struck while reading this how much of, how much this article made concrete what Rob Maines was theorizing when he came on our podcast this past offseason. Um, for listeners who haven't read the article yet, I'll give a brief... I'll try my best to give a brief summary of what these sports owners do. So when you purchase a... And I really can't recommend the article enough. I mean, I know we're like crafting an entire segment around this, but if you like this podcast, you will get a lot out of this article. There's even like interactive sections in the middle of the article where you're scrolling through and they visualize it. They do a really good job. This is obviously what ProPublica does. Um, when you purchase a sports team under U.S. tax code, you are allowed to write off almost all of that purchase on your taxes spread out over the next 15 years. You can do that basically because of a loophole in the tax code, which allows you to treat the assets of the business, in this case, the sports team, as depreciating assets now when they're actual when they're not physical assets that are depreciating 
you know, like a like a printing press or like a like a car if you're like a rental company or whatever. When they're not physical assets, it's called amortization instead of depreciation. So this concept of amortization, which we've talked about with Rob Maines, um, is how a lot of owners get around it seeming like they've made money. Uh, so when baseball owners are coming out and they're saying, yeah, we lose money every year. I guess like legally, that's a defensible thing to say, because if you acquired a team for a billion dollars and you spread that over 15 years, or let's say you acquired a team for a billion and a half dollars and you spread it over 15 years. That makes the math easier for me. You can say that you've lost a hundred million dollars every year on that team just by nature of acquiring the team. It doesn't even have anything to do with the cash flow of the team. You have a hundred million dollars of amortizing asset on your hand. Whether or not your franchise is actually going down in value, the tax code allows you to say the asset that you acquired is depreciating over time just because that's what most things do in the economy. Now, sports teams don't because they're in effect monopolies. In baseball's case, they're actually a monopoly. But I wanted to talk about this article because I'm interested in the phenomenon of sports getting tied into this larger discourse, this larger reporting series that ProPublica is doing. Um, I'm interested in the way that sports are being tied into how large corporations and billionaires are manipulating markets for their own personal advantage and how it doesn't quite feel like we're the only people yelling about this anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we are getting more and more evidence that the rules were set up to benefit billionaires. I mean, like... It feels like such a Captain Obvious statement, right? But like, you're, yes, you're right. Right, but but what I, what I appreciate about this is it actually puts um, some definitions to to this very kind of broad and oftentimes esoteric idea that we talk about right when we say that oh billionaires are you know taking advantage of tax laws and they are you know cooking the books with baseball teams and we can rant all we want about that but they do a good job of hiding it right i mean their books are closed to us and so we really have no idea what it is that they're that they're going on about and how much money they are making or supposedly losing and so I, that was, I think, what I really appreciated about this article is that it actually, like, puts a name to this, this broad generalization that we, that we like to, like to discuss. And it's, and it's really interesting, um, well, it has its roots in baseball, right? This was something that the, the legendary owner, Bill Veck, uh, basically c- came up with, um, <laughs> It's just just like perfect that it came up, like that it started in baseball. Yeah, exactly. There was an owner who said, Hey, here is a uh, tax law that, you know, manufacturers use because their assets depreciate in in value over time. Uh, What if we did that with our baseball team and just pretended that it also depreciated in value? Despite all evidence to the contrary. Yeah, and there's a there's a really great quote in there uh, from from Paul Beeston, who used to be the the president of the Toronto Blue Jays, and he says, uh, "Under generally accepted accounting principles, 
I could turn a $4 million profit into a $2 million loss, and I could get every national accounting firm to agree with me. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, maybe we should do something about this. It seems like something is broken there. Um, and it's so, it's so illuminating, right? It's, it's, this is like the trump card that all baseball owners have. Because they have plausible deniability in being able to say that they're not making money year over year. If you take all of the revenue of a baseball team for an individual year, say they make $120 million in revenue. That's just a made-up number. I have no idea whether baseball teams make way more or way less than that. My suspicion is that they make way more than that, especially bigger market teams. Say they make $120 million. They spend 100 on of that on player salaries, on you know, stadium worker salaries on upkeep for the stadium, on marketing, on concessions, whatever they spend. So that's a $20 million profit, right? In most businesses, most businesses treat that as a $20 million profit. But if they're able to write off $100 million in amortization, then that looks like an $80 million loss. And this is an extreme example, of course. But we're working within those margins and they're right these teams are writing off huge losses to the tune of you know 700 million dollars over a decade and yet somehow these owners continue to get richer and richer and richer and i think where it gets really nefarious actually before we even talk about that i wanted to specifically highlight a portion of the article where um it just felt like a real american moment to me reading it which was the uh the time the timeline of it it's like the early 2000s uh they've rewritten the tax code to exclude amortization to exclude the uh to exclude the professional sports industry from amortization because you know the people who wrote the tax code were like this seems ridiculous and uh then George W Bush comes in <laughs> Here, I'll just read from the article quickly. In an effort to stop the endless litigation, Congress inaugurated the modern era of amortization by simplifying the rules in 1993. Under the new regime, the purchaser of a business would be allowed over the span of 15 years to write off more types of intangible assets. This might have been welcome news for the sports business, but Congress explicitly excluded the industry from the law. Following lobbying by Major League Baseball in 2004, sports teams were granted the right to use this deduction as part of a tax bill signed by President George W. Bush, himself a former part owner of the Texas Rangers. Now, team owners could write off the price they paid not just for player contracts, but also a range of other items, just TV and radio contracts and even goodwill, an amorphous accounting concept that represents the value of a business's reputation. Altogether, those assets typically amount to 90% or more of the price paid for a team. So, I mean, talk about legal corruption. George W. Bush, while being lobbied by Major League Baseball, a former Major League Baseball owner, signs into effect a bill that will allow Major League Baseball to undo what Congress wrote into a law. It's just mind-blowing stuff. I mean, I know this is not revelatory to any of our listeners, and it's not even particularly revelatory to you and me, who know that Major League Baseball have lobbied Congress for decades to allow them to do all of the shady bullshit that they do legally. But still, come on, man. It's so ridiculous. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. No, and you don't have to. Because they're doing it right in front of our eyes. One of the more nefarious parts to me was about two-thirds of the way through the article where it kind of pivoted to how these owners, you know, some of the richest people in America by default, because these sports franchises are worth so much, 
how these owners use sports to help themselves accumulate more assets outside of sports. Like sports are being used as a tool, as a weapon. We have now allowed the tentacles of the billionaires to wrap themselves around sports and, and use them to their benefit to amassing these riches beyond the industry. If you have this tax credit for amortization, say you can write off $100 million for your taxes if you're the principal owner of a team. And your team doesn't make $100 million in revenue. So you don't need the amortization to write off all of the income of the team, all of the profit of the team. You can then apply whatever is left over to your personal taxes. So say if you're, if you're Steve Ballmer and you make $500 million just from Microsoft stock, and the Clippers only made $20 million that year, and you have an amortization credit of $100 million. Now you have $80 million extra dollars to write against the $500 million that you made from Amazon or from Microsoft stock. I just can't believe. It's like it was the tax code was literally written by Steve Ballmer. I mean, because in <laughs> effect, it, it was, right? I mean, they have real influence over this. And that's the thing is like, they're not breaking laws. The tax code was written to specifically allow them to do this sort of thing, right? And that's, you know, the the obvious retort that you get in these sorts of situations when you point out that billionaires are not paying their taxes and you will get people saying, well, they're not breaking any laws. You know, they're just taking advantage of the way the system is set up. And it's like, yes, that's the point. Shouldn't we like be mad about that? The point is not that I think they're like breaking laws left and right, although I, they, I'm sure they are in other areas. But like, this is this is a very legal practice that they do, right? Steve Ballmer is paying a lower tax rate than his players are, than his concessions workers are. So it may be legal, but it's not moral. I think that's what's so frustrating about seeing a story like this, and you know it seeming so impactful to us to read to literalize some of the stuff that we're talking about week to week but it being so it's like a moving target like how do you even understand this how do you get people who are sports fans to care about this because I don't think that anybody who's a sports fan gives a shit that LeBron pays 40% in taxes and I don't think that they are going to read down far enough to see that Steve Ballmer pays 10% in taxes. I think that most people are just resigned to the fact that billionaires find loopholes because they have enough money to pay people to look into the loopholes. Right. And, and that you the say, loopholes if, are, I was, if I was a billionaire, I would I'd do, do the it same too. thing. Yeah, exactly. But like, I'm just not content with allowing sports to be this. I understand that Silicon Valley was literally invented to be something like this, like a place for you to dump money into businesses and have all of the the benefits that are associated with capital investment. But sports should not be this. And that's what's so frustrating is that Major League Baseball is too worried about lobbying Congress for stuff like this on behalf of their 30 owners or on behalf of their, you know, 100 invested owners, whether they're ownership groups or whatever, because this benefit applies to people who own minority stakes in teams as well as majority stakes. Major League Baseball is so consumed with figuring out this type of stuff that they can't solve the stuff that we actually care about week in and week out. Like, you want to know why they have a hard time 
making an impact with younger generations because they're too worried about this stuff. And they don't they don't care about that. You know, there's I'm facetiously including up top a video from Consumer Report making fun of Rob Manfred. But like a lot of the stuff they're saying is right. They're just missing the they're they're missing the based part of it. They're like they're missing the part where like, yes, this is on behalf of billionaires. They're not trying to hurt consumers because of woke politics. They're trying to hurt consumers because the definition of capitalism is hurting consumers. To that end, there's this Dan Gilbert. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs, who is the founder of Quicken Loans, which like make of that what you will. He's basically the only owner who responded to ProPublica's requests in any way. He had his lawyer respond, which is what billionaires do. Although if there was any owner who was going to take the call, it would be Dan Gilbert. Here's what, uh, here's what Gilbert's lawyer said. The tax write-off for amortization, Gilbert's lawyer argued, is essential to all businesses, from restaurants to factories to sports franchises. Without it, he wrote, there would be no capital investments made by owners, and businesses would be taxed on revenue without properly taking into account all costs necessary to generate that revenue. That would be antithetical to capitalism and fatal to the United States economy. So, fatal. So are you telling me that we've Don't built an economy... Me. That cannot exist unless we allow sports owners who are worth billions and billions of dollars to write off fake losses so that they can amass more profit. That's the economy that we're afraid of killing. Hmm. Maybe we should go ahead and do it then. That's If this is how we've set it up, maybe it's time for a change. Thanks, Dan Gilbert. Anything else on this, Alex? Anything else stand out specifically to you? I wrote down all these quotes, but... I'm just wondering how we'll be able to take advantage when we ultimately crowdfund the the purchase of a sports franchise. And more importantly, has Alex Rodriguez seen this yet? Does he know that he can do this? He definitely knows. I'm sure he does. Do you think there's like a seminar? Like, Do you think when you acquire a team... The other 29 owners sit you down and they tell you, like, here's how we do this. Don't forget to do this or it'll make us look like right. amateurs. Here's all, the, here's all the shit that we do that, like, how you can maximize your your return. Like, people like to think that sports teams are competitive, you know, or, or rather that they are competitors, but they are, they are not competitors, right? Like, it is, it is the 30 owners, the 30 billionaires versus the consumers versus the players like that's this is a dynamic that exists everywhere when it comes to labor negotiations when it comes to the health of the game when it comes to the tax code i am certain that they want to help each other out oh yeah oh yeah i mean they're not they're basically not even pretending anymore no and last thing i'll say on this and then we can move on is i thought that it was funny how prominently involved baseball was in writing the rule book basically because you know there's a point in the article where they talk about how this benefits the nfl more than anyone because the nfl has the most pro owner labor landscape which means that they they pay out less in wages so that that they actually make more profit and they can write more of that profit off as losses through this mechanism whereas some baseball teams don't actually make that much profit so to speak 
year over year, despite the fact that their franchise value is going up tenfold over the course of decades. I thought that it was funny how much built-in wisdom felt like it came from baseball in this whole scheme, you know, because they're the ones that are lobbying Congress. They're the ones that are named as influencing George W. Bush. They're the ones whose owner came up with this mechanism, Bill Beck. We talk a lot about how baseball is America, right? Like they, they are, it mirrors the country for better or worse. It's economic systems, it's social influences, all of that stuff. And this article was just another shining example of that for me. As evidenced by the fact that Rob Maines could basically say this is what they were doing without this report, without the, ty- the IRS tax filings. All he had was the public data from, from the Braves and the legal understanding of the concept of amortization. And he could be right. like, this is what they're doing. And it's yeah. exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Big victory lap for Rob Maines this past week. <laughs> Seriously. ProPublica doing God's work over here, too. Yeah, shout out to ProPublica. Um, maybe we should have got some of these authors on. Some of the authors of this piece to talk about this. It may have been able to explain it better than, than us, but yeah. that's okay. I feel like I did an okay job. Uh, you people did a, let, you did a great let me job. know. I, I, I love talking about amortization. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I totally knew about before December 2020. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex, let's take a couple of voicemails um, before we go to break because it's been a few weeks since we've done voicemails. Thank you to everybody who listened last week to our, our rerun of. Uh, of a 2019 episode. Alex, how do you feel about that that episode? Do you think that we were right in choosing July 4th as National Baseball is Awesome Day or whatever you want to call it? Do I you mean, stand I, by that choice or do you want I to go still, full fully in on May Day? <laughs> yeah, something tells me that I'm not sure that's the uh that's the day that owners are interested in in making baseball's national holiday. I do think that July 4th is like is remains the obvious choice. I, with with obvious risk factors involved, obvious, right? Of course, like I, I don't know. That's just like a that's a layup for Major League Baseball. They've already all of their uniforms are red, white, and blue. Anyway, that's true. They don't even we have change a, that much. We have a listener call coming up about that very very fact. I love that. Um, let's go straight to that. Hi, my name is Dan, and I'm a very sad man. And to help, I listened to tipping pitches. Except last week when I got angry hearing the discourse over Major League Baseball jerseys, uh, essentially praising the City Connect jerseys for the Miami Marlins. Look, that flies right in the face of the problem with the jerseys in the first place. It's the lack of color diversity. So let me ask you a few questions. What percent of teams do you think have red or blue in their jerseys? It's 67%. So what percent do you think have red and blue? It's 40%. You cannot sit here and tell me that the best that Nike has to offer the Miami Marlins, its fans, and Major League Baseball is another red, white, and blue jersey. So, gentlemen, my ridiculously unimportant question for you is this. How do we fix baseball's boring jersey problem? My proposed solution is that for the July 4th series, all teams are banned from wearing red, white, and blue. And instead, they wear jerseys designed by local artists that are voted on by fans and players. I want to see pinks, purples, 
teals, neon greens. I want to see gradients. I'm tired of the politics. Get red, white, and blue out of my sport. All right? I don't want to be thinking about that. And before you guys start talking about the love for your logos and your team's colors, think about this. Think about what you're saying. You're saying that you love that corporately designed logo. Okay? I'm sorry, but your capitalism is showing. Anyways, uh, that's my question for you guys. Unionize the miners. Hope you're happy and healthy. Not me. I'll uh, hang up and listen. Incredibly timed call, even though this call came like a month ago and we're just getting to it now. The Olivia Rodrigo reference at the end. Spot on. Spot on. I didn't even catch that. Nice catch. Yeah. Oh. It's it's been it's been playing in the in the apartment lately. <laughs> I mean big same, but <laughs> <laughs> uh sad Dan has a point. Sad Dan has a point. Although I'll say for the 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 Marlin Sugar King jerseys, you know, it's a different color red, Dan. It's a different color red and it's a different color blue. You know, it's very it's clearly influenced by the reds reds and blues that don't come from america it's not the, you know it's not the famous red white and blue of the uh, stars and stripes there but you have a point you have a point i'm down with this idea of making teams not wear red white and blue for a series i think that it could could be really weird it could look like a college football d2 game but i'm down for that i'm into it would you like to volunteer your design capabilities for Major League Baseball? I really don't think that that's a that's a very good idea, and I'm not sure that they would uh, be interested in entertaining anything that I come up with anyway. No. Um, plus, there are some actual like people who don't just say graphic design is my passion and like actually you know do this shit for a living. So no, this is yes. not your passion anymore. This is your occupation. <laughs> this is my occupation. Uh, no, I I love this idea. I think that asking people from the community to have a say in how that community is represented on the field is a wonderful idea rather than deferring to multinational conglomerate Nike to just be able to pick up on whatever matters in a certain community, you know, like, yeah, like whatever's in like the third paragraph of the Wikipedia page about a city. Yeah. Like, the, like the Giants one. You saw the, the Giants City Connect one and like the shtick is just fog. That's just uh, half of half of the numbers and the, the letters are just covered up in fog. You guys heard about this Golden Gate Bridge? It's a bridge. Sometimes it gets foggy. It does get very foggy. Well, yeah. These are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> really bad i don't like the cubs wrigleyville ones either how do you feel about those no i don't i don't like them either they're i, th- I thought we talked about this already oh did we? i we might I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go in again you know yeah go go off again go off again no yeah they're 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 corny they look like something that uh like a vendor is going to be hawking outside right of the game, like they look you know? like knockoffs yeah okay i'm glad we're on the same page about that since so infrequent that we're on the same page about jerseys I know. I like your capitalism is showing. That's a good phrase. Put that one in my yeah, back please, pocket and use it again. Please, any of our listeners, if our capitalism is showing, tell us. My capitalism is showing about jerseys when I pay out the fucking ass for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, next voicemail. Yeah, just saw your tweet 
leave a message and talking about complaints about owners and all that jazz. It's like, has there ever been an ownership group that went from being beloved to just absolutely hated in record timing than the Ricketts and the Cubs? You go from buying the team from the evil Samzel Tribune to like, oh, I'm a bleacher guy and my family's going to run it and we're going to change this place. And they win a World Series. They hire Theo Epstein, not in that order, but whatever. And then you go from that to, you know, all the email leaks about the Elder Ricketts being a racist psycho to the Marquis Network, <laughs> where it's like, uh, what is that terrible evangelical Christian uh, network that Marquis is on? But whatever, that stuff. And then you're like, oh, we're getting rid of all the good players. We're not re-signing Cornerstone Chris Bryant. Oh, we don't have any money. We're not going to re-sign Rizzo. To like, oh, crying broke. Like, billionaires crying broke. I don't think there is, a, in my lifetime of 30-some-odd years, I've seen an ownership group go from for love to reviled as fast as they have. Um, yeah. Fuck the Ricketts. I hate them so much. A real overrepresentation of Cubs fans listen to tipping pitches or are just following tipping pitches on Twitter and calling in when, when I tweet about the Cubs. Uh, this dovetails nicely with something from my down this week that I'm going to talk about a little later. But it's never a bad time to say fuck the Ricketts on the podcast. And it also dovetailed nicely with uh, the Wrigleyville conversation in the previous voicemail. This listener's definitely onto something, at least within the last few years. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of an, another ownership group that has kind of taken that sort of about face. Um, and and not just for the the on-field product either, right? Like it wasn't necessarily that they invested in the team and it was great and then the team got bad, although that is what happened. But they also, you know, made it their goal to gentrify the whole area around Wrigley and to Swing keep as many Cubs in fans, the Midwest. Yeah, keep as many fans from watching their games as possible and just gouge their their fans and abortion uh, with, with in Kansas prices. yeah I think that uh, you know this this call reminds me to remind everybody else that when things are going good for your baseball team it's not necessarily a point in the owner's favor it's not necessarily that they did anything to make it that way I mean yeah what the Cubs did is they kind of invested in the team for a couple of years I say kind of because it's not like they went out and signed a bunch of free agents it just so happened that their core came up and was really good all at the same time. You know, like, it's not the Ricketts. It's not a point in the Ricketts' favor that Chris Bryant became good. He's the second overall pick in the draft, and the Cubs development team developed him. I, I think that the Ricketts did basically next to nothing. You can have bad owners who develop good players all the time. Look at Mike Trout. We don't always have to say that the owners did a good job when it looks like there's a quote-unquote dynasty forming for a team. There can be plenty of other people who we should attribute that success to. I think Theo Epstein is probably one of those people, despite my qualms with Theo on the podcast in the past. And I think that the players, above all, made the team good themselves. Like, I, I think we can credit the Ricketts for, like, Jason Hayward? <laughs> That's it, you know? That's kind of it. 
Yeah, Jason Hayward, who I love and who also has not been a great baseball player in in a, in a little bit. Right, but it was a good thing that they went out and got him. Yeah. Congratulations to the Rickets on signing Jason Hayward and nothing else. <laughs> okay, next no, question. No, 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 no. Issuing a correction to my previous statement, you do not have to hand it to the Rickets. <laughs> right, you could basically sum up my last 90 seconds of ranting about you do not have to hand it to the Rickets. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I before, before we move on, I will say, I think that... Um, Jeffrey Loria is another owner whose reputation tanked really quickly. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that I think that expectations or or that fans that he was beloved by fans necessarily. Um, but you know, if you start at mediocre and then you just hit rock bottom, like that's a pretty pretty long way to fall. And he did it in pretty pretty quickly. That was that was a just gross mismanagement, like day in and day out. I can't wait it's for this. Impressive. I cannot wait for the same reckoning to come for Steve Cohen. This is going to be fantastic. Uh, okay, last voicemail. Hey guys, uh, my name is Jamie. This is my third time calling uh, in a pretty short time frame. I just wanted to say that softball is awesome, and honestly better than baseball. Uh, I'm watching the championship game of the College World Series, and it is an absolute treat. And I, I don't think it's even just because it's a championship game and every, all the tension's so high and everything. It's, it's really just I'm enjoying it a lot more than I've enjoyed many baseball games this year. Um, I haven't seen a strikeout yet. I've watched a few games of this tournament. There are very few strikeouts balls in play. It seems like it's kind of Rob Manford's wet dream. Uh, and I think it's awesome. If baseball were like this, I mean, I, I think it would be pretty great. But luckily we get it in softball form and uh, go Oklahoma, I guess. Because college softball rules and Oklahoma is awesome and some of the stats that these girls are putting up is absolutely they're unbelievable so that's all um, softball is awesome Base- baseball should be more like it um, yeah love the show catch you guys later I wanted to play this voicemail because um, well obviously you guys can tell that this is a month old because the uh Softball World Series ended quite a while ago. But I wanted to play this voicemail because, you know, we toil away having the same conversations about how do we improve the game and what are some changes that that we can make that will put more action back into the game. And, oh, it's this, uh, it's this holy grail that we can't find. It's just so hard to change baseball and all this stuff. And, like... It's not because softball, as this listener outlines, already has all those things that baseball is trying to get back to. And obviously some of that stuff is built into the rules of the game more easily than baseball in that the ball is bigger and the bat is bigger, so contact is more prevalent. The bases are shorter, so it prioritizes speed above power in a lot of cases. Um, You see more like slap hitting and bunts and all of that stuff, and it actually makes sense. competitively but it's not like we're you know 
Einstein trying to invent the theory of relativity here. We already have examples, you know, even college baseball is more exciting than MLB in terms of like gameplay, bang, bang plays and on-field action in a lot of times, in a lot of cases. And I'm not saying that baseball is not fun and cool to watch, but we've admitted that there's a serious pitching, hitting imbalance going on that is taking enjoyment out of the sport. You know, just this past week, there was a seven-inning no-hitter that was thrown with five different pitchers. It's like, that's not that fun. <laughs> the Marlins-Dodgers yeah, game that I went three to. Three up, three down, but. Yeah, the Marlins-Dodgers game that I went to, that was 1-1 one, one through 10 innings and then one on a walk-off pass ball. Man, I love baseball, but man, it's <laughs> a lot of money for me to spend to see that kind of game. And so I just, you know, this is a good call uh, by Jamie. And a good point that like there are very simple, obvious solutions that we can make that will swing this back in the favor. Of yeah, well, the and the it, it's it's really enlightening to see what it looks, what a sport looks like that hasn't been riddled with toxic masculinity and a plethora of of unwritten rules and exploitation. You know, like the fact that the profits there are are much smaller means that there people are more content to just like let the sport be what it mm-hmm. what it wants to be you know mm-hmm. and i think a lot of a lot of people are i think it it has been allowed to grow and create its own culture like somewhat un unfettered by you know, stodgy old old white dudes who want to see the game play like like they can like have baseball. You know, they can go and fuck it up and be mad about batting average or whatever. And softball is going to continue to grow and be fun. And these women are going to show their personalities and like it's an enjoyable thing to watch. Like it's cool seeing what a sport looks like when it hasn't just evolved from this like highly segregated fucked up history i don't know man yeah well it's a sport that hasn't had the spirit beaten out of it yet and it's also a sport that hasn't been think tanked at every turn which baseball is both of those things it's had the spirit beaten out of it at the major league level you know not to a complete degree like there i'm not saying that i don't love baseball still and that the players playing it are not as exciting as ever but baseball capital b baseball has had the spirit absolutely vacuumed out of it by those people who are rent seekers at every step of the process, which I bring up a lot, but I thought that you put that so nicely when we talked about this, when we talked about youth development in the sport. That's the reason that you get the like soulless version of the game in instances that we do see it. It's because like it's been think tank to death. And anything that you allow to be dictated by like money managers it's not going to be fun anymore and there's like every punk music song ever written can tell you that like you don't need me to tell you that on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) uh there's one more there's one more listener question that i wanted to bring up really quickly it's not a voicemail it was a dm that we got from a listener named jorge um jorge wanted to know basically why mlb has not put any effort into developing the game in europe uh here's what jorge writes You've talked a lot about the growth of the game and how the short-term approach of the commissioner is kind of sacrificing the popularity of the sport and its long-term viability. 
in exchange for any dollar that the league can make. And I wonder if that's why there's almost no effort to try and sell the sport in Europe. I know it's a very local sport with complex rules and a very American feeling, but a lot of that could be said about the NFL, and it has had tremendous growth in the past decades in Europe. There may not be a market for MLB to become a major or even a medium-sized sport in Europe, but they just haven't tried. Uh, he goes on to list that in Spain, the TV rights belong to the biggest cable company, but they air just one game a week and not even live. Um, Alex, do you want to give me your NBA approach to why MLB has not bothered to try to grow the sport in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I I don't know. I think part of the reason is that, <laughs> like, I don't think that Europe, and if I can speak on behalf of all Europeans, yes, right that's now, right. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I don't think they go. want another sport. I don't <laughs> think they need another sport. They watch the most popular sport in the world, and they're probably in, in soccer, and they're probably fine with that, right? Uh, um, I don't know. Well, there are a lot of baseball fans in the UK, for example. Um, there are, yes. Some of whom I think listen to this podcast, but I think to Jorge's point, like when you have a billion dollar money bag in front of both of your eyes, and that is regional cable deals in the United States of America, you just don't give a shit about Europe. You don't care about growing the sport. I mean, it goes back to our point of sustainability that Jorge alluded to. Like, they don't care about growing the sport sustainably. They don't care about what baseball looks like in 60 years. Why would they? They're going to be dead and rich for their entire time until they die. <laughs> also, I don't know. Are there enough white people over there to, to, <laughs> for baseball to really get their, <laughs> get their f- feet in the door? Oh, gosh. Uh, I love this sport. It's so fucked up. Um, okay, we're going to do three up, three down. Um, but before we do, Alex, it's been a few weeks since we recorded live, uh, which means that in the time since we've spoken last, reports have surfaced about uh, Dodger starter Trevor Bauer, who has been a longtime character figure on this podcast that we've discussed his toxicity, but nothing publicly was ever as toxic and alarming and upsetting and disturbing and incredibly fucked up as what came out about him in the last couple weeks the athletic reported on a restraining order filed by a woman in pasadena uh alleging sexual assault and you know it it feels weird to talk about this it feels weird to not talk about this and we're not going to go into any of the details or anything like that um i wanted to point out a thread from former guest of the podcast shakia taylor that we retweeted and a point that Shakia made specifically um, in that there feels like a bit of a lack of accountability going on with the Dodgers right now. And obviously the situation is evolving. Obviously the situation is still early on in the process. And given how slowly our legal system moves, it's going to be a long tail on this process. But Shakia points out that the way that the Dodgers are just kind of letting this fall away and not talking about it and not taking any accountability for it. Um, it feels wrong because the discourse about Bauer leading up to the signing was that this is a toxic individual and you guys should really think twice before you give him all of this money and sign him and put him on this pedestal. And it's going to drive a lot of fans away from the team. And people were telling them this and people were telling the Mets this and people were telling all of the teams that were pursuing Trevor Bauer and free agency. 
um, given his past behavior of online harassment of women on Twitter and his transphobic views, among many other things. And Shakia writes, I need a full-bodied, we heard you and didn't listen, we're sorry, here are the steps we are taking. And I think that's just such an important point that is kind of being missed in all of the reporting around the situation, because when, when you ignore the very real concerns that people have about a person, an athlete, a public figure, it drives them away from the sport. And then when something like this, which is unthinkable, allegedly unthinkable, even worse, happens, you can't just dodge all of the very real concerns that people had even before this event happened, even before these allegations. Because, because what Shakia is saying is true. They just didn't listen. They didn't listen. People were trying to tell them, and they did not listen. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a big, like, when people tell you who they are, you should probably listen thing. And especially when when non-men are pointing out who someone is, like maybe it's important to actually listen to those concerns. Um, I mean, the the response to this from a lot of people in the baseball community was just really sickening. Um, from, you know, innocent until proven guilty to the 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 Dodgers basically throwing their hands up and saying, we can't do anything. We're just following major league baseball's lead um, to the weird fantasy sports angle where you say, well, you got to separate the, you know, the player from his stats. I, I mean, to it, Noah Syndergaard using it as an opportunity to get a joke off. Like you said, this is just m- another example of the fact that the sport largely doesn't care about women being put in harm's way. Uh, and aren't interested in listening to the people who have really, who have real and valid concerns about a person's moral character. And this, uh, this is true, even if this thing with Trevor Bauer doesn't happen. You know, this reinforces the point. But like, it should not have taken a a lesson like this. An, an awful incident like this for people to actually wake up and say, hey, maybe we should actually listen to fans when they are airing concerns. And the Dodgers' like sheer lack of accountability in this process is just fucked up beyond repair. Like Shakia said, erasing Bauer completely arguably does more harm than, than good because it, it lets the team off the hook and they shouldn't be left off the hook. No one, there need to be people who say, yeah, we, we missed the, the dozens of red flags. We didn't hear you. We weren't listening. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do three up, three down. Okay, Alex. Time for three up, three down. It's been a minute since we did three up, three down. My vote is to start with down this week so we can get it out of the way and on and up. What do you think about that plan? That sounds like a great plan to me. Thank you. I'm full of great plans. Um, You really are. Big producer vibes. (laughs) I'm going to put that on my resume. Big producer vibes at the ringer. Um, My first down this week, I suspect might be your first down. I'd be surprised if it was not one of your three downs. My first down this week, Alex, is 
Ronald Acuna Jr. tore his anterior cruciate ligament, his ACL. He is going to be out for the rest of the season. It's just fucked up, man. It's just fucked up. You know, it's cruel. It's a fluke play. He's trying to catch a ball against the wall, tears his ACL. You know, Acuna has been labeled as injury prone a bit. He's had some knocks that have kept him out for, you know, two, three weeks at a time, but nothing like this. And the fact that, I mean, this is just a brave season from hell. They lose Acuna Jr. They're, they're having a bad season on the field. They lose Acuna Jr. for the rest of this year. Uh, they lost Mike Soroka to re-aggravating his Achilles while walking. It's just a mess. It's all a mess, and I'm sad about it. I'm sad that we don't get to watch Acuna for the rest of the season. I am too, and I think that it feels like this year especially, we have maybe not appreciated Acuna to the point that we should have been because we've had the 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 glory that is Shohei Otani, right? And the wizardry of Tatis and the the breakout season of of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, it's like I can't I, it is it is hard for me to keep track of all the incredible young stars in the game. And so when something like this happens, it makes me really sad because I'm like, fuck, I really should have been watching more Acuna. Yeah. Like the dude is crazy, was probably on pace to hit 50 home runs and steal like 25 bases, 30 bases, very quietly. <laughs> I know. I don't know how that happens, but right. Yes. And, and, and end up like third in MVP voting, you know? Yeah. Well, this will just be a reminder for us to appreciate him when he comes back. Mm-hmm. I'm optimistic about his ability to make a full recovery given the advancements in sports medicine and the repair of the ACL these days. I'll just say that as a as a little speck of optimism on the whole situation. How about that? I like that. Was that it's one been, of your downs? Was I right? That was my that was a down. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I, I'm uh, lead- so I guess I can kick it back over to you. Okay, I'm leading the charge today. Um my second down this week it starts with a quote from Cubs president Jed Hoyer. 11 days ago Seriously? Is this also a down for you? Yep. <laughs> 11 days ago we were fully on the buy side of the trade deadline. Everyone was calling about that. Obviously people are now calling to see which players are available, so it's a very different scenario than we expected. Life comes at you fast, Jed Hoyer says. Life comes at you fast, Alex. Life comes at you fast, but this is not one of those situations where life came at them fast. This is exactly what they asked for. You know, we talked about the Ricketts earlier. We've basically talked about this exact thing with the Cubs that they've dismantled, intentionally dismantled their quote-unquote dynasty that they thought they were going to have with their young youth movement that won them the 2016 World Series. We've talked about this ad nauseum, but like how Hoyer can come out here and say, I get it, he's paid to eat shit for the owners. I get it, I get it, I get it. But how he can come out here and say that life comes at you fast when this is what everybody knew was going to happen? You have a bad team. You took a good team and made it bad. And the fact that the Cubs are going to get away with this by coming out here and being like, oh, shrug, baseball, it happens. It's so it's such a crapshoot. You can't predict baseball. I'm like, actually, we all predicted that this was going to happen to you because you guys traded your best pitcher for fucking jack shit in the offseason and announced to everybody that you were shopping your two cornerstone infielders in Rizzo and Bryant. We all knew this was going to happen. So stop. I think we've mentioned this on here before, but it's hilarious to me that they 
manipulated their their star third baseman's service time, just burned all the bridges with him, lost the goodwill of the fan base as a result. And now we're like, yeah, we're not even going to keep him around anyway. No. no. But like <laughs> this, this quote, I don't mean to overstate things. I understand that he's just saying in a press conference, people say stuff all the time. You, you look at it on Twitter, you reread it seven times when it comes through your feed and it makes you angrier than it ever would if you just heard him say it to you. I get it. But this quote is insulting, Cubs fans. It's insulting. It's assuming that they have no intelligence. And too often, presidents of baseball operations are assuming that fans are stupid. Way too often for my liking. Yeah, my my favorite part of the the quote was when he said, though, this is, it's not a rebuild, guys. This is not a rebuild. We would like to avoid that word because we're in a very different position from where we were in 2012, which is true because they have a lot of really good baseball players right now that they are about to lose. Again, so I guess technically they haven't reached the rebuild stage yet. This is a, I guess they're in the teardown stage. <laughs> if we're not, if we're looking to avoid the rebuild word. Yeah. What sounds worse? Rebuild or teardown? Yeah. It's not a rebuild. We just happen to be losing like our seven best players. And all it would have taken. I don't know if it's actually seven, but all it would have taken to keep them was money, mm, which, which we also happen to be printing. Right, exactly. And keeping. But dumping it back into Have you into heard of this thing, this thing, amortization, <laughs> Bobby? We're losing so They're much money. They're not actually printing money. Yeah, no, no. We're losing so much money every year. Uh, look at all those high-rise buildings going up around Chicago. Those are expensive, Alex. Those aren't they cheap. Are. Those aren't cheap to break ground on. You know what we yeah. are rebuilding? The city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon we'll it's own not, it all. It's it is not cheap to be a landlord, honestly. If you buy a condo, you get half-season tickets. It's, <laughs> it's not cheap uh, to be a landlord. It's also not easy, according to New York Times profiles. That is true. Yes, they're struggling out here, and we oh, should have no. a little more sympathy for them. I had to get a second job. My first job as a landlord, which is not a job. My first job as a landlord was only paying for all of my rent. It wasn't funding my lifestyle. Yeah. So hard. Takes Brutal me so stuff. much time. Pour to, one out for the Cubs owners. Takes me so much time to look at the email confirmation I get from when my tenants pay online. That's so hard. That is tough. There's emotional labor in that. Yeah, there is. There's emotional labor in watching all of your tenants' money come to you, or 85% of your tenants' money come to you. That's tough. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, was that all right? That was your it second is, down. Uh, again, it's back to it's back to you okay. because you're just kind of scooping me on these. Um, that's why I go first, so that I don't have to get scooped. Yeah. If it's three for three, that's kind of embarrassing. We should have prepped for this. So I'm hoping that my third one is different than yours, though I'm not positive that it is. Um, my third one this past week is, or this past two weeks, I guess, since we had so much to pull from because we haven't done this segment in a while, is uh, an Advocates for Minor Leaguers tweet, my weekly Advocates for Minor Leaguers check-in. Uh, they're doing, I mean, really incredible work over there, depressing work talking to minor leaguers whose lives are literally ruined by the billionaire owners of their franchises. But important work, nonetheless. Uh, advocates for minor leaguers tweeted, players with the Rangers and White Sox tell us that in May, their teammates had apartment applications denied due to insufficient income. Something must change. Most minor leaguers make less than $15,000 a year. The least MLB teams can do is cover housing. 
Alex, insufficient income for apartments in small towns around the United States while working for billion-dollar corporations that are basically tax fronts for the 30 richest people in America. Is this, is this a broken system? Idle leaguers, they're just like us. <laughs> Jesus, dude. That's, and I, I get what they're saying. You know, I mean, I've, the, the New York rental market is obviously different from other places in, uh, in, in the US, but it's not easy to get an apartment out here. The shit that they ask for, oh, you have to, you have to, uh, make or have be able to show that you have 40 times the rent. Yeah. If you're making a, if you're making 15 K a year, I'm not certain you're going to be able to cover that. Yeah. And it's another way of effectively banning poverty, right? Like making poverty illegal. And this just happens to be within the context of baseball. So we're talking about it on our baseball podcast, but this is what happens all over the place, right? Like this is how you keep people out that you don't want in for whatever reason, because they're poor or because they're not white or because they didn't go to Ivy League school. Like, if I have to apply for an apartment to live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I get denied because I make $15,000 a year and I can only show income statements for that $15,000 and I can't get unemployment for the rest of the year and they don't think that my credit is good enough to get that apartment, and I have to call my parents and ask them to co-sign for an apartment with me, even though I was drafted to play Major League Baseball, the pinnacle of my career, and my parents don't have the money for it, then I can't, I'm not allowed to play Major League Baseball. Whether there's a rule that says that I can't or not, I'm not allowed to play. And guess who is disproportionately affected by all of that stuff? Non-white people from lower income communities. So, yeah, it's just another de facto segregation of the sport to upper middle class and upper class white men. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how the sport got this way. Yeah. That's I'm not sure. All the issues about uh whiteness and um its inability to read the room when it comes to like the financial state of its fans and just the general health of the economy. I I don't know. Uh, I don't understand. Unfortunately, they don't have any time to solve this because they're too busy, too busy uh, filing complex tax things. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is fair. Sorry, we can't. You know, we can't I'm solve sure this that one. Is draining. We're uh, employing forty three lawyers, and they're all teaching us about amortization. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any time to pay you anything more than fifteen thousand dollars because uh, our our lawyers have a high retainer. Okay, you're third down. Yeah, this week. that's that's fair. Uh, my third down this week, which uh, you you mentioned it earlier, but I'm just gonna say it again, <laughs> was the seven inning combined no hitter thrown by the Tampa Bay Rays this past week. Mm-hmm. Look, all of the pitchers who pitched in that game, very impressive, very good, very good pitchers. Uh, the day was kickstarted by friend of the pod, Colin McHugh. A, who, who handed things off to Josh Fleming? No Colin McHugh slander Castillo, here. No Colin McHugh slander. Matt Whistler and Pete you, Fairbanks closed it out. You know who slandered Colin McHugh? Some names. What? You know who slandered Colin McHugh? Who? The people who chose the MLB All Star Game. Get Colin McHugh to the All Star Game. 
Come on. Yes, but also, <laughs> this is we are just watching the the rapid uh, deterioration yeah. of the sport. I know, and it's not Colin McHugh's fault. It really is not. Colin, if you're listening, I didn't co-sign this. Alex slandering you on the podcast that you're there is part zero of the rapid deterior- deterioration of the sport. But like, <laughs> it feels like. There's perfect games like this is, you know, Billy Bean or Brad Pitt as a Billy Bean voice. There's perfect games. There's no hitters. And there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's seven inning combined no hitters. With five different you pitchers. Know, with five different pitchers. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I and it know. counts. I'd, and it just, it, we just count it. Yep. It's not the Rays fault, though. They just went no. out and pitched. Who were they playing against? Uh, the Indians. So uh, no-hitter no number three for them this Ooh. year, I believe. Yeah. I bet you they still wish they had Francisco Lindor. Uh, all right. Should we move to up? You start out up this week because I feel bad that I scooped two of your downs. So no, I'm going to no give you the chance all. to scoop two of my ups if you'd like. <laughs> um, keeping it keeping it in Tampa Bay is the pitching debut of one Brett Phillips. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going to choose this, so I did not. See, that's what you got to right. do. This one's on you, man. You got to anticipate what I'm going to choose and choose something different. <laughs> well, so if you knew this, then why didn't you know I was going to pick the other things? I don't know. I'll just keep going. <laughs> uh, this is like game theory all of a sudden. I have no idea. Yeah, I know, right? We need to be three steps ahead of each other. Uh, Brett Phillips pitched uh, in the, the Rays 11-1 to loss against the the Blue Jays about a week and a half ago. And it was an absolute delight. I know that like I think I think baseball fans in general have like grown a little bit tired of the position players pitching. Like the novelty has kind of started to wear off a little bit. I'm actually kind of insulted sometimes. If you bring in a position player to pitch when you're down like seven, fuck you. That's not enough. That's not enough. Okay, about nine. Does nine work? Yeah, that's okay. Would you bring in Brett Phillips with a nine-run deficit? In the eighth inning or later, yes. Yeah. Like, okay. don't make me sit through three innings of position players pitching. I know. Come on. Yeah, that's a little That's a little tough. Never a good sign when you're relieving a position player with, with another, another position, position player. player. Yeah. That's that's no good. Yeah. Have some respect. Down the, down the rabbit Have some respect there. for the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All that being said, Brett Phillips had the absolute most fun I think I have ever seen a position player have on the mound. Yeah. His balk even, was the even, highlight of the season so far. <laughs> I know. More position player box, please. Uh, That's what many people just, have been saying. They're saying the game's not fun enough. We need Brett Phillips balking. Need, mm-hmm. Which box, once again, one of those baseball rules that just like kind of up to the umpire what it what it is what it means this one was beyond interpretation though he dropped the ball i mean it was it was very it was a very straightforward box yeah you can't drop the ball so i'm actually a little surprised that they that they called it yeah you know (laughs) uh this man i i just like when baseball players can enjoy things a little bit and like have a little fun you know like flying in the face of of tony la russa taking this shit seriously and saying you shouldn't swing 3-0. You shouldn't try and hit a home run off a position player. Fuck that. They know that this shit is done. You know the game's over at this point. 
you've already conceded. So why not just enjoy your time out there a little bit? I have a question. Brett Phillips aside, would you support a literal surrender above position player pitching? Like, would you support a rule where it was like you can end the game? Like a forfeit? Yeah. I don't know why I said surrender. Like, this is the art of war. I just forgot the right. word forfeit for a second. Raise there. a little white, white flag. <laughs> everybody should have to come down and everybody on the entire team should have to come out and take a knee. <laughs> forfeit. Uh, no. No? No. No forfeits. That's one of the things that I really like about baseball yeah. is that. Every pitch, you still have to throw the pitch. You still got to go out there and finish the game. And like position players pitching is like the closest thing we will get to that sort of surrender. But there's no taking a knee. There's no running out the clock and just dribbling it, you know, like taking your time to get across the court. No, you got to go out there and take your cuts. What other sports can we make fun of? (laughs) That was two in one sentence. Nice jobs. Hockey? Soccer makes soccer makes fun of itself. I mean, they just end half their games in draws. So that one, we don't even need to do anything there. Also, the clock in soccer? Just like a suggestion. Just <laughs> weird. <laughs> if we had just that like, yeah, kind we'll of, just keep it running. Oh my God. If we had that kind of ambiguity with any rule in baseball, it'd be all anyone could talk about ever. Yeah. Like, it, uh, let's just throw a nine, couple more minutes. 90 on plus four, and we're also six minutes past that. But yeah. there's a good pass happening, so we're just gonna let it keep going. Oh my god! In baseball, that forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah. We would have like Rob Manfred would have to give a quote every single day about why this rule hasn't changed yet. There would be like a competition committee meeting weekly that would that would accomplish nothing. It would be terrible, terrible. But in soccer, everybody's fine with it. It just goes to More show. More power to him. It just goes to show, like if you grew up. And you didn't take everything so seriously and so think tanked. You'd be okay with more stuff. You'd be okay with more flexibility. It'd be fine. Be okay. Everyone be all right. Okay. My first up this week is Josh Donaldson versus Lucas Giolito, which happened way, way back, I think June 30th. So even before our most recent podcast, but we didn't have time to talk about it. Um, it's on my up this week because. It's just a one-on-one feud in baseball that I feel like you don't get very often without like the larger annoying elements of like the individual feuds between the Astros and the Yankees. Aaron Judge, obviously, as we record this on Sunday, on Saturday night, Aaron Judge uh, made fun of Jose Altuve with the whole holding your jersey on thing, not getting it ripped off, with the alleged buzzers. That's a whole thing. But Josh Donaldson versus Lucas Giolito... Donaldson hits a home run off him. He comes around third base. He yells, your hands aren't sticky anymore. Giolito gets pissed off. He calls him a fucking pest in the post game. And Donaldson said he sought out Giolito in the guaranteed rate parking lot after the White Sox 7-6 win. The Twins veteran was asked Wednesday about that meeting. He didn't really have much to say. He said he thought I was annoying. I said, so what? I'm on the opposing team. What do you care about me? Really funny. Really funny. Nice work by Josh Donaldson. You should be annoying. Yeah. You should annoy the other team. That's part yeah. of the job. Yeah. I. Lucas Giolito was, I suppose, rightfully peeved at Josh Donaldson, Whatever. who, who by all accounts, is a pest. Like, yeah, he, Josh Donaldson. He's annoying. Kind of an asshole. Definitely an asshole. Also, in this case, 
Very right. Righteous asshole. Yeah. I, you gotta, you gotta hand it to the guy. Now, do I think that there are pitchers on the twins who were maybe taking advantage of this, uh, these sticky substances as well? Yeah, probably. Most likely. Do I love that Josh Donaldson is just going scorched earth? Yeah. Also, absolutely. Uh, thanks to listener Sam who DM'd this to us uh, and brought attention to that feud. Okay, what's up next for you? More baseball feuds. Second up for me. Dodger Stadium had a little uh, little takeover the other night by one musical artist and media mogul, Aubrey Graham. Also known as Straight. Oh my God. Yes. Dude rented out Dodger Stadium for a date. Yeah. Captured by an ABC7 helicopter news crew. Uh, it was just a little little table sitting along the third baseline as he and his boo, Johanna Lea, who's a model, um, just sat there and had a pleasant candlelit dinner with, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people also just watching them from above. Do you think they ate garlic fries? Yeah, like a Dodger dog. Yeah. Like, did they did they just order concessions? You know, I love Dodgers fans as much as the next guy. Okay, but when the pandemic happened and you could order food from Dodger Stadium, I was like, and people were like, oh my God, this is this is amazing. I was like, guys, no, it's not. The, Do- the Dodger Stadium food, number one, overrated. Number two, overpriced. You want something overrated and overpriced? You might as well just order from like, Shake Shack, then. Oh, I thought you were talking about the latest Drake album. (laughs) Overrated, overpriced, and bloated. Uh, That's me after I've eaten Dodger food. (laughs) Dodger Stadium Uh, food. They they had personalized Dodgers jerseys, too. They were both wearing the number eight, which I don't know why they weren't wearing six. That feels like an obvious uh, miss right there. Definitely because of something to do with Kobe. Absolutely something to do with Kobe Bryant, that they were wearing number eight. Yeah. Her jersey fittingly said, Johanna. His said, the boy. I just <laughs> I can't handle him. I can't. I, I, I can't handle him. Someone asked you to go on this date, Alex. Do you do it? Or do you think it's weird? Like if someone says, hey, I rented out Dodger Stadium for us. Yeah. I think I would do it. I think I probably would, too. Just to say I did. <laughs> But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if they did it at Lone Depot Park, they were like, hey, I rented out Lone Depot Park for you. I think I'd be like, it's cool. I have some, I rented out I Guaranteed have, Rate Arena. I still need to finish the good place. Like, I'll stay home. <laughs> it's fine. The Dodgers, custom Dodgers jerseys is one step too far for me. You're already at Dodger Stadium. Like, she gets it, bro. Yeah. She gets it. Okay. Next up for me, speaking of the Dodgers, uh, Alex, there's a draft prospect. He's a shortstop from Thousand Oaks, California. He's projected to go late first round, maybe early second round, depending on the slot value. You know, a little over slot chat on the pod, 90 minutes in. Draft happening tonight, by the way. Hasn't been mentioned yet on this podcast. We don't give a shit about the draft. That draft prospect's name, need I remind you, from Thousand Oaks, California. That draft prospect's name is Max Muncy. Yes, sir. Max Muncy. 
Not a common name, Alex. Not a common name. And there is a player on the Dodgers with the name Max Muncy, who many of our listeners will know. And this guy is named Max Muncy as well. Here's the real kicker. They share the same birthday. There's something cosmic going on here. Or Max Muncy the Younger, his mom, was a really big middle school Max Muncy baseball fan. <laughs> Max Muncy on the Dodgers is not from California, though. So I don't, I, I don't have an explanation for this. It's just one of the weirdest things that I've ever heard. The, the weirder part about this for me is that this man was born in 2002. Yeah. That's, that's too much for me. What were you doing in 2002? What was I doing in 2002? Yeah, like um, summarize an average Sunday for Alex on, in 2002. <laughs> the <laughs> listeners need to know. Uh, I was probably playing t-ball. Nice. Or giving my two-year-old brother shit. Yeah. Um, during the week, I was probably going to kindergarten. Nice. Uh, you know, big, big two-year-old, uh, big six-year-old energy. I'd say that probably sums up what I was doing. Though I didn't play T-ball. I went mm. straight into the uh, the real baseball. Right. Yeah. You skipped you skipped college and said, I'm going to go straight to the draft. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And my name is also Max Muncy. I changed it. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what's your second up this week? Or you already did your second? What's your third? My third up, Bobby, is the fact, the sheer fact that someone is fighting the good fight for all those oppressed people out there who still enjoy batting average Hmm. because we need to bring back batting average. I don't know if you know this, but hits win baseball games, Bobby war doesn't win baseball games. That's true. Technically (laughs) it, it may compose all of these stats that do win baseball games, but you there, you cannot tell me that Ronald Acuna's 4.2 war has won the Braves baseball games. You're right. I mean, technically you could say that he, but you know, if every player had 4.2 war, I'm thinking that the Braves would win a lot of baseball games, but that's just me. I don't know. Eh, I don't know. Um, this comes courtesy of a far too long column over at, um, the, the, blog website (laughs) i don't even really know i've never heard of this before ball nine but a there are a a handful of people mutuals on twitter who who follow this and who follow the the writer kevin kernan who wrote this article and it's exactly what it sounds like the lead is let's bring back the 300 hitter to baseball it's bbba time bring back batting average keep going I'm digging this. This is good. Let's bring back the 300 hitter. Adam Fraser. Who's pumped? Adam Fraser, everybody. He's in 331. I don't see freaking Kevin Kernan tweeting about Adam Fraser every day. Yeah. So well, who's the inter- fraud now, Kevin? Interestingly, Adam Fraser, though he's hitting 331, I don't think the Pirates are winning many baseball games yeah. lately. Yeah. What wins baseball games now, huh? combined no hitters having a reliever who can pump 97 over three innings uh this like i i don't even really want to read this because it is far too long like you can just scroll to any random point in the article and and like i like and like i don't quite know what 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 they're talking about they're he's 
calling for hitters to adjust and choke up a bit so that they can hit better instead of moving back the mound or something. I People just don't think. This is my conclusion. People don't think at all. Hitters do choke up, Alex. And they still don't hit 300. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me that batters couldn't can't just hit 300 if they if they try? Like it's not an they're it's not an active choice that they're making? No. No, it is. It is. Sorry. I didn't mean to imply that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Forget it. No. No one wants to hit 300. Kevin's right. The my I I didn't even appreciate the the article so much as I appreciated the 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 tweet from Ball Nine that accompanied it. Quote: Exit velocity does not win games. Again, questionable. <laughs> the validity of that launch statement angle, is questionable. Launch angle does not win games. Mm. Again, you just described the two things that make home runs. Yeah, so okay, uh, getting a freaking hit wins games this is the like freaking saying, was was in there freaking was in the tweet copy this is like saying swinging doesn't lead to hits uh-huh oh here's here's my favorite line getting a freaking hit wins games not the whizzing sound of a k so strikeouts so having good pitchers toss them out the door yeah you don't as long as your team can hit 300 it doesn't matter you could give up 12 runs your team's going to get 13 because that's station-to-station baseball. That's right. That's called clutch hitting. You know what Pete Rose would do? Get a hit. (laughs) The tweet finishes with Kevin Kernan drops some hard truth that all hashtag all caps nerds to drop some hard truth wisdom that all hashtag nerds to read (laughs) with bring back batting average. Couple words (laughs) missing in there. But like, I just... oh. Oh... It gets me. It just gets me every time someone drops hard truths, you know? Like, it just gets, yeah. it just gets me. Hashtag batting average. Too infrequently are hard truths being dropped. We need more people hitting 300, and we need more people dropping hard truths. Yeah. As a self-described nerd, I need to be hit with these with these truths more. Tell me why Launch Angle doesn't That's why we matter. do this podcast, because you're a nerd, and I hit you with hard truths. Right. Exactly. I don't care that Matt Chapman... Can oh, he can throw the ball across the diamond? Whatever, cut him. If he doesn't end this season at three hundred, fucking cut him. Yeah, what is he there for? I don't know. Clearly, not to get hits, you nerd. <laughs> He's there for exit velocity only. All right, we've taken this bit way too far. Um, my third up this week is my good friend Lance Lynn. Tweet from James Fagan who is a, the White Sox beat reporter for The Athletic. He says, when he's playing catch between starts, Lance Lynn is always wearing a hoodie with long sleeves underneath, which was still the case on Monday as temperatures went to the high 90s. He explained that if you always feel miserable, it offers a sort of consistency. Lance Lynn! <laughs> wow. Yes. Man after my own heart. Lance Lynn wearing a My Chemical Romance hoodie to school in June. Sweating, black jeans, Converse. People are like, why don't you take the hoodie off? And I'm like, why don't you shut up, mom? <laughs> you mean Lance Lynn is like that, yeah, right? Not Lance you. Is like this, this is ju- not, this is just hypothetical. Me. I don't see myself in this tweet at all. Nope. Yeah. This is so funny. The Lance fact Lynn that a major cutting, league cutting baseball... little holes in the in the 
in like the little wrist fabric area. Yeah, put, his the sleeves. Gonna put his thumbs through. Put his thumbs through. So yeah. cool. Um, the fact that Lancelin, the best pitcher on the best team in the American League with a 2-0 something ERA, comes out and says stuff like, if you always feel miserable, it offers a sort of consistency. It's something that we're not appreciating enough on this podcast. That is so fucking funny. I truly can't believe that this man is like going to start the All-Star game, maybe? He's the best. He's the best. I don't, I don't, I don't know how it happened. I've been brought into the Church of Lynn by Michael Balvin, who's been saying for years uh-huh. as a bit that he's the best pitcher in baseball, and it kind of almost came true. And he spoke it into existence. <laughs> Literally. Literally. He's been saying this since 2011 when he was like an average starter on the World Series Cardinals team. Yeah, I think almost exclusively wow, he was on the Cardinals. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Last one <laughs> in the past. I think almost exclusively because Lance Lynn is a heavy set dude with a beard, who is not here for the frills of the game. He's just here to sweat and be sad. <laughs> Which you know, <laughs> who among us? Who among us? Who among us? That's all I got this week, Alex. Uh, before we get out of here. I want to shout out everybody who shared a photo of themselves in the Union as the Miner shirt or Steel Bases Not Wages shirt in the past two weeks since we didn't get to do this last week. Thanks to Kat. Thanks to James. Thanks to Kyle. Anders. Isaac. Mac. Michael. Christian. Edward. Lorena. And someone whose Twitter name is Collector for Hot Labor Summer. You love to hear it. I think your actual name is Rose, but that could be wrong. You know who you are. Thank you so much for sharing photos of yourselves wearing our shirts on Twitter. We will continue to shout out people who share that. Remember, tiny.cc backslash nationalize to get your shirt. Promo code AROD, capital A-R-O-D, to get 15% off uh, all the proceeds from our unionized and minor shirts. Go to more than baseball to try to help solve the problems with minor league baseball that we discuss very frequently. Um, and discussed in this three up three down. Uh, if you want to call into the show, it's seven eight five four two two five eight eight one. Alex, do you want to give a little teaser that we're going to have some some new designs coming out, or do you want to keep them under wraps? Do you want to give any um, any hints? I'm not going to tip our hand too much, but I will say this may get some of you guys excited. It's a red, white, and blue team. <laughs> We do have another red, white, and blue design coming, but our capitalism is showing. I know, but we also have a non-red, white, and blue design. Coming. Oh my god! So get we're, we're we're pleasing both sides of the aisle yeah, here. We're playing this it is both bipartisanship ways. Bipartisanship in, act- in action. Uh-huh. Took a little cue from our man Joe Biden. Anything else to leave the people with? I don't think so, Bobby. I just want to ask you real quick: Do you think that Shohei Otani should maybe stick to? Either hitting or pitching. I can't believe you're trying to do this at the end of the pod. I can't. I can't believe you're trying to do this at the end of the pod. Okay. Sure. Like, okay, Brian Kenny, take take away from him. Yeah. I just. I just think maybe he could be Jacob Degrom if if he stopped hitting. Okay, John Smoltz. Really quickly, before we go, last thing I have. I just have to because we haven't taken a shot at any large national profile reporters yet on this podcast. So I will take a shot at Brian Kenny. The fact that you can build up your whole brand as being like the voice of sabermetrics on MLB network when everybody was trying to talk about bring back the 300 hitter and then you come out and say something stupid like this stupid and anti-analytics like this just goes to show that you were kind of like a you were just kind of like an opportunity merchant to begin with if you think that Otani should stop pitching or stop hitting either 
It just goes to show that you were kind of a fraud all along. And to put the icing on the cake, it's anti-fun. So get the fuck out of here with those tired takes. Okay, but to be fair, he's not hitting 300. So if he can't get that number up, I think it may be time to reconsider the whole the whole hitting thing. Never mind the fact that he's going to hit 50 home runs. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you all next week. Enjoy the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby, of which Shohei Otani will probably win. I used to care, but now I don't. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!